0: America, my name is Armio Punk, I come to you live every Monday and Thursday. Monday, I do a relationship show. On Thursday, I do a show that's more on politics. And today, we're going to talk about the police practice and procedure of holding killer manifestos. Every now and then, someone goes a little bit nuts and starts shooting up people for all sorts of reasons in these United States. And this last time happened in Jacksonville, Florida. And the police is not releasing his manifesto. This young man wrote why he shot him. They say the police will interpret it for us as uh, it turns out, he was racist, and so we just shot black people because they were black, and <clears throat> but the police won't um, release his manifesto, and I actually think it's important to actually release the manifestos, and I'm not. Uh, for the public administration of justice and so that we can actually talk about what it means that we have, one, the gun policies we have, and two, the racial justice policies we have in the United States. In order to actually be able to be an informed member of our democracy, we need to know all the information. I need to know what the violent whites think about their, you know, entitlement to violence to protect their whiteness. For example, the El Paso uh, Manifesto. There was an El Paso shooter, I think, in 2019. His manifesto, The Inconvenient Truth, is actually good. I signed it for a class. We talked about it in class because I think he actually goes over a lot of relevant arguments about the origins of racialized anxiety. The El Paso Manifesto guy was worried about people taking over his way of life. All of these immigrants and foreigners coming in and changing not just the complexion of Texas, but the politics of Texas because they were all voting. And so he wouldn't have all these problems with, you know. Latin Americans or whoever coming into Texas, if they weren't voting or people from California, anybody who he had a problem with people coming in and voting for Democrats. All right. And he also had a problem with his way of life being threatened um, by globalization. So it was vague it was nativist. It was white supremacist. It was also some anti-miscegenation stuff in there. And, but it was, I think not too, it wasn't un-American. And I think it's important for us to grapple with these kind of entitlements and which ones are justified and which ones are not and the idea that what you can what you have to do is just embargo or hold that kind of manifesto because you don't want to promote copycat killers i think is naive and i also don't think it's particularly honest or it's not honest it's not trustworthy of democracy like if we need this kind of information to know what kind of people we are so that we can make policies regarding our people, then I need that information to be released from the police. But also, I think it's a strategy. I think it's a strategy to keep the standing order of white supremacy as opposed to this wildcat order of white supremacy. And, what you, and you can ask, what, what what are you talking about, IME? And I'll tell you what I'm talking about. In the early 20th century, and Barbara McLean goes over this in her book, um, Behind the Mask of Chivalry, it's a book about the Athens Clan, the clan in Athens, Georgia. In the early 20th century, there was kind of a civil war within the white supremacists about how to do white supremacy. Did you want to do it through the courts and the judges and the genteel variety of white supremacy, or did you want to do it with like wildcat violence and the Klan threat of terrorism? Um, the whites were of two minds about it, and, over, and at the end of the day, the genteel variety of white supremacy subordinated the wildcat variety of white supremacy and that's the america we live in today but i think the wildcats are coming back They're, they're they're mounting a comeback because they don't think genteel variety the genteel um white supremacy is up to up to the snuff right so i think the police is working on the side of well the whites in general but genteel white supremacy in particular when it when it holds back these arguments, because they don't want to actually fan the flames of the other kind of white supremacy. Right, so it's not about. It's, it's a, it's a sectarian victory. It's a, it's an internal fight about how to rule over the lesser people in America. Among the whites, and. The genteel variety of white supremacy doesn't want to cede power to the more unregulated, uh, lustful variety of white supremacy, and th- so it's not good for racial justice to keep these arguments um, uh, under wraps. Because honestly, both sides of that white supremacist um, uh, uh, white supremacist order believes in the substance of the arguments or at least 80% of the substance of the arguments, right? It's just about the execution that the genteel uh, variety doesn't think should be executed in such a way because it's it's unseemly to just go around shooting, shooting black people, right? And so I think we should not get caught up in taking sides on... Like especially taking the genteel side of white supremacy, we should get caught up in fighting for democracy. Insofar as we want the information out, I want to know what the violent whites think, and I want them on record thinking what they what they think. This is one reason I I have a weakness for public comment sections in school board meetings because the public comment sections where white people get to white out loud. Uh, for everyone to see and you just get to see what they're thinking and you just kind of like hit the record button and let it go and you get to see what they think about um, their standing and and, and their anxieties um, with respect to both their children and themselves right so I want this record um, to be public because if you keep it private then you get to one project all sorts of like psychological BS on this shooter because you're denying him reason. He can't have valid reasons for doing what he did. He can't have popular reasons for what he did. What he what he has to do has to be unreasonable and unconscionable. But if he if you have an articulated um, record of his reasons and conscious, it's hard to say that what he did was unreasonable and unconscionable. You can say you don't agree, which I don't but um, it's hard to say that he's unreasonable. And I think other people agree on those, with those reasons. So I think we need to go to work on those reasons. But presupposing that the reasons don't exist or can't be relevant is a problem. Also, we have this idea in America that we don't have to listen to assailants, especially losing assailants. And I think that's not particularly healthy or good for justice. Um, you know, I was... The last, you know, I've been studying philosophy a while, the last 20 years, there's been a lot of work on consent everyone, especially the feminists, they write on consent, consent this, consent that. And, you know, I've been trying to tell them in many different ways that consent's not going to solve the problem um, because we consent to all sorts of awful things. And then they, they just kind of change consent or change consent. What they want to do is get away from the idea that what goes on in the assailant's head matters, Right what goes on in the assailant's head matters. And it turns out that what goes on in the assailant's head matters for what is done and why it's being done and how to actually address the justice of what's being done, to understand what's being done. But if you already presuppose that what goes on in the assailant's head doesn't matter, it's just the only thing that matters is the willingness of the victim or that the assailant is necessarily crazy because they're an assailant. One, you don't get great books like Soul on Ice, which was written by Eldritch Cleaver, you know, like meditating on um, his assaults (laughs) of <laughs> um, and so you, you get rid of that. and we just don't understand the culture, the water we, the water in which we imbibe, the air in which we breathe. We don't understand our culture if we just assume that assailants, assailants don't matter. or would be assailants don't matter? All lives matter, including assailants' lives. I want to know what's in the man's mind because it might be useful. And it might not be all wrong. It's definitely not going to be all right. But if I just, if I just discarded everything I heard that was not all right and just like partially wrong and in awful or racist ways, then I would discard pretty much everything I hear. <laughs> so, I uh, I think that we should be in the business of actually studying assailants and understanding that what's in their head matters, and and so. I'll circle back to the consent discourse. This, there's this idea that um, we could talk about what good sex is without dealing with what's in the um, would-be or possible perpetrator's mind. And it turns out that you can't. If the other person's thinking of you like an object, you're not having, like, it, it matters. It matters. Or if the other person's thinking of you like a subject, it matters. There's like a person with, you know, own needs and desires that need to be accommodated. That matters. And if there's a confusion, that matters too. But as soon as we, um, and then we have to think about why one person gets confused or why they think about you in this way and why they don't. And what we, if we're actually serious about getting rid of assault and actually promoting like, you know, healthy sex, we have to actually think about what's in both people's mind and not just, you know, the would be victims or the alleged victims and just assuming that the perpetrators. Uh, it, it, the, the mental content is, is irrelevant to what went on in the situation and how to re- remediate or redress it, okay? So, um, we need to know what goes on in, in the, the bad person's mind. And we need to support a culture that says all thoughts matter. All reasonable thoughts matter because that's pretty much where democracy is. That already presupposes that all reasonable thoughts matter. And if you're writing them down, that means there is reason because you formed a coherent sentence. And you could say, well, we're scared of copycat marketing to copycats. Well, if, if that's a real fear, then we don't have that much of a robust society that keeps white people from shooting black people just because. If you're that scared of copycats, then, um, you are just comfortable with the edge. That means we live close to the edge. That means you're, you're comfortable with the edge of white racist violence. And I think we should just not be comfortable with the edge of white racist violence. We need to actually blunt the edge. I, I think... One of the strategies of white supremacy is keeping black people on the edge so that like they know that any time one of these white people could just pop off. Um, and that is not healthy. And, and we need to like make a new kind of white people. That means we need to actually study the white people as they exist, as they're currently being produced, the way I.O.R. produces corn. And that means we need to study the thoughts of this guy who's killing people because it might be rather common, and it might be something that needs to be redressed. And what happens is if we embargo or somehow keep down or tamp down those thoughts, it ends up gaslighting people like myself who, who and Bobby Wright and other people who say, like, you know, these white people, they think this, they think X, Y, and Z. And then you know, the, the other folks will say, where's your proof? And I'll, and I'll have to say, well, my proof is sitting in... An evidence locker in in Jacksonville's uh, police station because they won't release the proof. Release the proof. Let the whites talk about themselves, um, and 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 let us be the judge. I I think. Like, it's a strategy to embargo the proof of their perfidy and the the culture that produces that perfidy, and I do not support it. So release the manifestos of the killers let us decide what that means about who we are because none of these killers are particularly creative so if they're getting ideas that means and they and they have a culture that supports those ideas that means that there's an entire cultural system that produces them and and supports them so we need to know what those ideas are and so we can actually identify the culture the 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 cultural the methods and mechanisms of cultural production and undermine them, all right? Thank you for your time. I'll be back on Monday to talk about a more kind of a relationships-focused show. And I